So let me tell you the story of four young lads by the name of Tom, Dick, Harry, and Joe. Their full names were in fact as such. Tom somebody, Dick everybody, Harry anybody, and Joe nobody. Together they were the best of friends, but I must confess when it came to a task they weren't very good. You see, whenever they were given a job, they all began to fight. This is how it always went. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. And anybody could have done it, but in the end, nobody always ended up with the task. When nobody did it, somebody was angry because it was everybody's job. But everybody thought that somebody would do it instead. Now nobody realized that nobody would do it. So consequently, everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done in the first place. Now don't start arguing yet because I have another story to tell of these friends. Now as you may have guessed, these four were fun, active, busy people. But what they accomplished was a shame and everybody knew it. You see, everybody had a good idea. But everybody thought somebody would follow through with it. However, somebody thought anybody would work on it and anybody thought everybody should do it. So nobody ended up working on it again. Now, one day a contest was announced and all the boys were sent to enter. Now, everybody thought anybody could win the prize and anybody thought somebody would win and somebody thought everybody would get the prize. Nobody, though, was the smartest of the four and nobody was very faithful and nobody worked very hard. Thus, nobody won the prize. Now, I have one more tale to tell you of another friend of the four. This is a sad, sad tale of the death of a man called someone else. You see, all the boys worked at a firm and at this firm worked someone else. Now the four were greatly saddened to learn of the death of one of the most valuable members, someone else. Someone's passing created a vacancy that will be difficult to fill. He had been around for years, and for every one of those years, someone else did far more than a normal person's share of work. Whenever anybody mentioned leadership, somebody always looked to this wonderful person for inspiration and results. Someone else can do that job. When there was a job to do, a need to be filled, or a place of leadership, one name was always given, someone else. Everyone knew someone else was the largest giver of time and money, and whenever there was a financial need, everybody, anybody, and somebody always assumed that someone else would make up the difference. Now someone else is gone, and the boys all wonder what they will do. No longer can they utter the words, let someone else do it. If it's going to be done, one of them will have to do it. And I guess most of the time it will be nobody. Nobody often gets relegated to the task that we just all know somebody ought to do. Now, why does nobody often get relegated to the task? Well, a couple different reasons. I think one is because of our technological informational overload. Uh, In 2008, there were one trillion pages on the Internet. By 2013, in 2013, that amount of information began to double every 72 hours. So today, every three days, the amount of information on the Internet doubles. And you know, a lot of that information comes at us with needs and needs us to be a part of it. And they want our heart and they want our wallet. And they're, they're, they're significant and some of them very substantial real needs. But there are so many we don't know what to do with it. We have to almost shut down in order to cope. And while we're, we're shutting down because we're wired to the Internet, they say that 57% of Americans have either a smartphone or a tablet, which means we're wired 24-7. And guess what the number one activity of those with smartphones is when they get up in the morning? The very first thing they do, 
check their phone, of course. And the very last thing they do before they go to bed is check their phone. Yes, and all day during the day they're checking. We got it. Got it figured out. But because of that, because we're constantly wired, we have endless supply of videos, we, games. You know, my boys on their Xbox, if there's no one wants to play with them, it doesn't matter. They get, get on the thing. They can play with some kid in China. It doesn't, they can't even speak the same language, but they're shooting and blowing each other up. All, all, the, all the same. You can watch endless array of, of videos and vignettes. You can listen to music. You can watch music. You can comment on news stories that you don't know anything about and comment on other people's comments that they don't know anything about either. And you can list, read blogs and endless, it just goes on and on and on. And so we look at the needs and we don't know what to do with them. So we go and we entertain ourselves with, with the internet instead. It's one reason why nobody ends up doing the task. Often as well is because we have a misunderstanding of time. There were issues yesterday. There'll be issues tomorrow. There's just always issues. Uh, I'll take care of it later. We misunderstand, I think, time. So what we want to do just, just for a short time this morning is look at that through Jesus' eyes. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, to Matthew 24. This is a very, actually a very famous passage, though most of us are not all that acquainted with it. This is Jesus' last sermon. Matthew chapter 24. Getting towards the end of his days on earth. Matthew 24, verse 1. I'm going to give you the background. We're going to actually do 25. 24 and 25 are one sermon, call it the Olivet Discourse, but setting the stage, let's look at 24.1. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now, when you think of the temple, uh, don't think of a church-type building. It's like a mall complex. Literally thousands of people are employed at the temple. It says that almost all of the industry business around in Jerusalem, was indirectly, if not directly, impacted by the temple. Temple was was huge. And Herod took over building this thing. See, Solomon built it way back when, about 900. It got clobbered in 586, wiped out. They rebuilt it in 450. Then, Then Herod comes on the throne. He's not a Jewish king per se, but he's over this area, and he wants the Jews to like him. And Herod was really into grandeur and architecture and stuff. And so he takes this Jewish temple and he starts rebuilding it in 20 BC. It's not going to be done until after Jesus was gone. But he makes this thing one of the major wonders of the Mediterranean world. It was sitting on top of Jerusalem. And so it's marble white. You could just see it from, from way back. It's just beautiful, beautiful. And for the Jews, this was life. This was, God gave the directions for this thing back when Moses was up on, when he gave the Ten Commandments. This was their identity. This was life. And so when, when these guys are walking out one day, Jesus and his disciples, the, the disciples are looking at this thing going, just wow. Just wow. Jesus, we look at this, just wow. And then Jesus kind of off the cuff, it seems, he says, do you see all these things? He said, I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Okay, let's go. It's like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. What do you mean? What are you talking about? And so they, they ask him. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen? I mean, this was going to be the end of Judaism. When, when this is going to happen? He's got three questions they're asking. And what will be the sign of your coming? Real important. And of the end of the age. When? This is this whole world thing going to end? 
Is it all going to end, Jesus? It's real important as we look at this passage. Those are three questions. Now, the temple, 70 AD, the Romans came through. They burned it. The gold on the temple worked its way between all the stones. So when things cooled off, the Romans had to knock down every single block so there wasn't one stone left on the other to take the gold, fulfill Jesus' prophecy. But Jesus goes through telling us some very significant things. This has kind of been on my heart lately, checking out uh, CNN, CNN, looking at the uh, natural disasters in the world over the last couple of years. And Jesus spends the next multiple verses, from verse 4 to verse 35, saying this. This is a reality. It really is going to happen. There really will be an end of the, the age. I really am coming back. So I want you to focus. So we're not going to spend any time on this section, but I'll tell you what, if you look through here, you look at the signs, you compare it to your, your headlines, um, it's not a scary thing, but it does make you look at life a little differently. Then in verse 36, he goes through and he, and he lets us know that this time that you're talking about, you need to be watching for it because if you're not alert and watching for it, you're going to miss it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to catch you by surprise. Don't let it catch you by surprise. Let me ask you, are you watching for it and looking for it today? Because if not, maybe we shouldn't go back and get that other text because it's going to catch you by surprise. And then in chapter 25, he, he goes, gives another parable and he says, you guys need to know that there's going to be a delay. I'm coming back, but it's not going to be tomorrow. Now, every generation of believers since Jesus has always thought he was coming back, but he lets us know here that there's going to, it's going to be some time, but don't let the time distract you or discourage you. You let us know it would be some time. And then in, in verse 14, he said you want to be watching for it, you want to be waiting for it in 14, and you want to be preparing for it. Jesus said, Jesus said you know, the time, y'all, I think, the time is, is, is near. You know, Barna Report says 75% of evangelicals believe that we're living in the last days. Now, Jesus is not going to come back based on a Barna Report. I got that. However, uh, 54% of Protestants, and we're talking a lot of mainliners who don't even believe in the Bible in many instances, are believing they're in the end times. 45% of practicing Roman Catholics, and Catholicism has never made a huge big deal about eschatology, end time stuff. But 45% of them are saying, we're in the end times. I mean, it's just so much on us. And so Jesus says, uh, it's going to happen. And between my first coming and second coming, uh, you need to watch, you need to wait, but you need to prepare as well. And this is where we're at in verse 14. He gives us a parable. Now, let me mention real quick as far as a parable goes, because a lot of people get tangled up on the parables of Jesus. When you think of a parable, it's not really a historical story. He's not trying to just give us history. Think of like an Aesop's fable kind of thing. He made up this story because he has a specific point that he wants to get across. And in every parable, there's a specific point that he's trying to drive in. And there's a lot of other filler things to the story just to make the story work. And what happens often is we hang on to all those filler things and we try to invent all kinds of goofy doctrines and everything else. We can put those aside and just understand what is the main point of the parable will, will be okay. So what we need to do this morning is understand what is the main point of this parable. And I think we'll, we'll be alright. This is in verse 14. Again, it will be like the it is going to be the end times thing. When are we getting ready for it? When's it going to happen? It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. 
to one he gave five talents of money or five bags of gold, your thing might say, to another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work. Notice that he went at once, put his money to work, gave five talents more. So also the one who had two talents gained two more, but the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hit his master's money. Okay, look, as far as characters, this is easy enough for us to figure out. Master, they asked him, Jesus, when are you coming back? The master's going to be Jesus. That's easy enough. He's coming back. He's going to go away. He's going to come back. The servants, that would be you and I. Now notice what he gives here. He gives them a bag of gold, a talent. Uh, there's some discussion about how much a talent is, is, is worth, but a talent is 75 pounds, so uh, five talents of gold, well, by today's standard, an ounce of gold is $1,300. 16 ounces in a pound, 75 pounds, one talent is a million and a half, one and a half million dollars. So this, this slave, who never, never got a paycheck in his life, he's a slave, he gets seven and a half million bucks. Not bad for a slave. Okay, you can see this is, don't, don't uh, take more into that. But the second guy gets a couple, and the, the third person gets one. You also notice with this that it seems a bit unfair, doesn't it? I mean, one guy got five talents. The other guy got two. Now, you'd say two, still a lot of money. That's, I'm still not in that category. But you need to know that if you make $50,000 a year average, some years you might make more, some years you might make less, and you work 40 years, you will have gained a little over $2 million. So average person is in the middle. They are that. But you might say, well, I'm just a one-bag person. I'm just, uh, that, that, that's, that's what I am. Now, what he's going to be getting across here, and this is a big idea for this parable, is it's not how much, not how much, but it's how well you do with how much you've been given. Very, very important. The issue is not how much, but it's how well you do with the how much you've been, you've been given. Now, it's this talents, but... You could look at a handful of other passages in Scripture, and we'll see that the talents are, of course, the physical financial resources, but they're also the opportunities you have. They're also the uh, health that you have. They're also your ability to think. And I know that you have what you have because you earned it, and you work hard, and you're smart. I got all that. I got all that. But if you had been born 50 years earlier in the mountains of Nepal, would you have what you have today? There, everything we see in this passage, everything these slaves have, everything was given them by the master. And sometimes he gives it directly, your health or a natural ability. Uh, he gives it to you. Other things he gives you by opportunity. And you've taken advantage of the opportunities that you have and God has blessed those opportunities. But, but ultimately the master has given it all. He, he has given it. Now, in verse 19... It says, after a long time, like it's that delay thing again. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And this is, there will be an accounting process. Everything we have has come from the master. He's given it to us with the expectation that we will build his kingdom with it. And when he comes back, there will be an accounting process. Remember we did the Bema Seat a while back? 2 Corinthians 5, 9, 10. Just a couple of my life verses. I love these. 
but they're sobering. Paul says, it's my desire to please him. Whether I'm, I'm at home or away, it's my desire. It's what I live for, to please him. And there's a reason why. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive what is done, what he has done, in his deeds in his body, whether they be good or bad. The guys in the New Testament, in the early, early church, did not have any problem with this, living this day for that day. They weren't living this day for this day. They were living this day for, for that day. They were living with this idea that I'm going to be held accountable in mind. That's how they, that's how they worked it. Verse 20 says, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five and he said, Master, uh, you trusted me with five bags of gold, five talents. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Look at the uh, reward for a minute. It's not just going to be, I want to hear the well done. That's, that's, that's good. I do want to hear the well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, it'll be interesting. We could do a whole study comparing and contrasting what happened with the other guy. But um, he's also, he's given two things specifically. And, and the first one's kind of a mind-blowing one. He says, you've been faithful with a few things, like seven and a half million dollars is a few things, but you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to give you even more. We think that heaven sometimes is like a time we're going to be let off to pasture. It's like, that was done. That world was so hard. I'm so glad that's finished. Don't have to work anymore. It's going to be big one, one, big, one big old vacation. But Jesus is saying, oh, no, 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 no. There's work to be done in, in heaven. And the fascinating thing is that as faithful as is, it might have been, what's going on in heaven will be so much more significant, so much more powerful. It's not going to be bad. It's not going to be a hard thing, but so much more powerful. I mean, who wants uselessness for your life? Don't you want significance? Wouldn't it make sense that heaven would be a place where you would be significant in that regard? Yeah. Also, notice he says, not only am I going to give you more because you've been faithful, enter into your, your master's happiness or the, the joy of your master. Again, sometimes we think that serving the Lord is a burden and a pain, and oh no, another time they're going to try to twist my arm, get me a sign for something. Jesus says here, there is a level of happiness you will only experience in serving him. And doesn't that make all the sense in the world if this is all true? If there really is a God, if we were really wired to be a part of this, this job that he has, if he gave you specific peace, wouldn't it make sense that as you do that, as you serve him in that, that that's where you'll say, yes, that's just what a life is all about. This is what's supposed to, you will have that, that joy, you will have that, that happiness. There's another very significant uh, benefit, though, in serving him. In, in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anyone here worried? Yeah, we're all exhausted. We're wore out. I got that one. And I will give you rest. Good, good, good. But look how he's going to do it. We think, oh, he's going to take put us out to pasture. Yeah. No, take my yoke upon you. You put a yoke on an oxen to work. When you wanted him to just hang out, just walk around and eat the daisies. And you, you, you took it off and let him go. But Jesus says, you've got to saddle up. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And if you do this, you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many folk do we know who are living for the weekend? They are Mr. and Mrs. Party who have no rest in their souls. This is kind of a uh, paradoxical sort of thing. But as we serve him, it's in that serving that we truly understand rest. It's, it's, It's a benefit that he has given for us. Something only God could do. Verse 22, it says, The man with the two bags of gold also came master. He said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice there was some inequality in the distributing of the gifts. God sometimes gives to some people more than he gives to others. And he's okay with that, by the way, even though we might struggle. He's okay with, with that. But notice there's no inequality with the reward. I think you and I would say the, the first guy was more uh, productive or the guy, first guy was more valuable to the organization in many ways. But yet both guys, equal reward. Because it's not about how much. Really, it's driving into us here. It's about how well you handle the how much he's given you. That's what it's about. Now, the important thing with this, too, is this guy with the two... He is standing before Jesus. As we think about serving, it's just so important that I serve, that you serve, because we're going to stand before him one day. He's, I'm not standing before you one day, and you're not going to stand before me one day. We're not standing before each other. Somebody writes you a letter and tells you how unimpressed they are with you. You got to know when you serve, there'll be someone, you might be multiple someone who's going to be ticked off, angry, you got all these ways you could do it better, they're all upset, on and on and on and on and on. It can be a thankless task in some ways. But I'm not doing it for them, right? I'm doing it for him. Uh, hopefully this won't be your um, life verse, but 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, these are great verses. Paul can be a little caustic at times. He's, he's being judged by the Corinthians. But he says, I care very little if I am judged by you. Yeah, you're judging me. Well, it's a good thing I don't give a rip about your opinion, isn't it? This is is impossible. Or by any human court. And then he says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. I like this. He says, my conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. As far as I can tell, I'm nailing it on this one. But I recognize I could be blind. I recognize I could be clueless on this. And I could be all wrong. The Lord judges me what a great this has got to be the servants life verses uh, to know that we stand we don't judge each other we stand before him individually how how am i doing i stand before him then the the man who had received one bag of gold came you know he was going to show up sooner or later master he said i knew that you're a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed now all that that's saying is this guy is is not surprised at the end day. He's not saying, oh, you wanted me to invest? Oh, I had no idea. Why didn't you tell me? He's not. What he's saying is, I knew what the assignment was. I knew what I was supposed to do with what you gave me. I know, I know. But I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. I was afraid. I mean, the guy with five bags, he can afford to lose something. He could take some risks. The same thing the guy with the two bags. He only had one, and so if I lost it, I, I was just afraid. 
I was afraid to hang out with those junior high people because I'm just telling you, I'm just so insecure and I'm nervous about those guys. It makes no sense, but it's the truth. And I was afraid to have to stand up and try to lead that Bible study because I might say something stupid. And I was afraid to give some of my resources because it could mess up my retirement. I was afraid to give my time because, well, it might mess up my TV time, my, my family time and stuff. And so I don't know. I'm just, just afraid that I would fail and I would let people down. And I was afraid. You need to know that if you got your list of excuses, you're thinking up with excuses when you see him one day, you better scratch that one off because he doesn't buy that one at all look what he says to that his master replied you wicked and lazy servant now he didn't think he was wicked lazy i'm not wicked i'm just cautious i'm just discerning i'm just the way i'm i'm wired i need to be a careful person you and i tell ourselves all kinds of stories on why we do what we do we're great masters of rationalization aren't we promise we believe it and i just wonder sometime my reasoning excuses if they met jesus has the same with me or if somehow my perspective of me and jesus perspective of me the way i'm doing it, are just different things i just wonder sometimes master says so you knew that i harvest where i have not sown and gather where i have not scattered seed well then You should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. This guy was saying, I'm just a one-bag guy. I don't have so much. Not realizing that it's not about how much. It's about how well you handle the how much. This is like maybe you're like Abraham. You're saying, well, you know, I, I used to serve in all, but uh, I, I can't anymore. I'm just too, too old, and I'm, I'm worn out. I've done my time, and I'm kind of not doing that anymore. Or maybe I am Jacob. You know, I'm just too insecure. I'd like to, and all, but I'm just insecure. Or I'm, I'm Leah. I'm just not cool. I'm very plain, and there's just no one. Has, I don't have anything. That's I'm not even have one bag. I have I have nothing going on. Or I'm Moses. You know, I've got a speech 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 impediment. I can't do. Why? How? I can't. I can't do anything like that. God. Or maybe I'm 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 Samson, and no one is going to like my long hair. I'm just telling you, they're not going to like it. And I have fits of anger once in a while, which is not going to work for me. Or I'm Rahab. I tell you what, your whole caravan couldn't carry my baggage. I have a very colorful past. I'm telling you, I. I can't serve. Or maybe I'm, I'm Elijah. And you know what? I have fits of depression. I think suicidal thoughts sometimes. I mean, how can I serve? Or a Jeremiah. When I'm an emotional basket case. I mean, they call me the weeping prophet for a reason, you know. Or maybe I'm, I'm John the Baptist. I have this goofy diet thing going on, you know. And I can't go hang out and serve the way I... Or I'm Martha. I have anxiety attacks. And I get it all wrong sometimes. Or I'm Zacchaeus. Not only am I a wee little man, but I'm very unpopular. Or I'm, I'm Paul. I have health issues. Or I'm Timothy. I'm an introvert and hate people. What else can you add to the list? What can you add to the list that he hasn't heard? And you need to know. He's going to say, it's not. It's not about what you can't do. I know what you don't have. I didn't give it to you. I know what you don't have. It's, it's not about what you, what you don't have. It's not about how much. It's about how well you do with the much that I've given you. How, how are you doing with that? Miles McPherson, he talks in his book... He's a pastor. He says, I walked out of my office one morning and a guy I had never met was just getting off the elevator. He's about six foot four, at least 250 pounds. He wore cut off jeans and a sweatshirt. His body was all tatted up, tattoos everywhere. We walked, talked down the hall together and he told me he was going to his first ministry meeting and he was really nervous. Nervous? How come you're nervous? 
Pastor Miles, you always encourage us to do something. So I figured I got to do something. I want to serve the Lord. Since our church has over a 100 outreach ministries, I asked him, what's the ministry you're joining? The knitting ministry, he said. Then he added, well, actually, I don't knit. I crochet. Here's this huge guy who looks like he could be an NFL tackle, and he's nervous about joining a ministry that makes blankets and hats for hospitalized children. Curiously, I asked him where he learned how to crochet. I was in the Hell's Angels for 12 years, he told me, and I learned to crochet in prison. I know it's the one thing I can do for the Lord. Just then, the lady who heads up the knitting ministry walks towards us, said a quick hi to me, and asked the former Hell's Angels, Are you Jim? She gave him a big grin and took his hand. I watched them go down the hall together. It may not seem like a unique ability to crochet, but when you package that with his life, the ripple effect can push countless others out of their comfort zone to step up and stand out the way God designed them. Imagine if Jim was worrying about what others would think about him crocheting for Jesus. I'm guessing Jim... If he was tailing up the five t- two talents, the one, uh, he probably would consider himself less than half a bag. You know, so you know what? If you do an FBI check on me, man, I'm not getting near your nursery. And uh, you know what? If, if your parents knew where I've been, I'm not, they're not letting me go to chaperone that junior high thing. It's just not going to happen. And there's probably not a whole lot he could do, but he realized it's not about the how much. I could do all these, but how well I managed the much he gave me. What could I do? And when he stands before the Lord one day, I think you'll hear the well done. So let me ask you, why would you not serve? Lots of reasons. Some of them we think are pretty standard. I want to direct your attention to the screen at this point as we listen to one of our own. My name is Devin Hamer. And I've been at First Lines Church for about four years now. My story begins at about age two. Um, My parents were going out with some friends that day. And so we had a babysitter at home with us, my two sisters and myself. I happened to be, I think, running down the driveway and not paying attention at the point where my dad was returning with his friends and my mom. He was backing the van into our driveway. And at that point, you know, he didn't see me. I was very small, so he actually hit me with the van. They knew I had a severe concussion. Uh, They didn't know if there were going to be any effects. They realized that from that concussion, it had constricted both of my optic nerves, which caused them to essentially die um, and also caused some internal bleeding which creates scars on the retina and uh, so my central vision a lot of that was gone I have an immense amount of fear all primarily tied to my vision loss I'm I'm always afraid I'm not going to be able to find a person I'm going to do something I'm not supposed to because I can't see I I'm going to, you know, miss a bus. I can't volunteer for this ministry opportunity because I might not be able to read the materials. I'm learning that having a disability, it truly is kind of like it is being broken physically, but there's emotional brokenness. 
um, all kinds of their spiritual brokenness and each of us encounter different types of brokenness in our lives. Uh, we can use that as, a, as an excuse that I can't be in ministry, I can't do these things, and we all have the same responsibilities as followers of Christ. I'm learning from Paul in 2 Corinthians that, that through our weaknesses we are made whole through Christ, that, that His grace is sufficient for us. I think it's helping me recognize that uh, this isn't just a convenient relationship, this is the relationship. You did something. Good job. It was great. We don't want to end in here, though, y'all. We want to take it out into the hallway. So what I want you to do is out of your bulletin, if you would pull your Serve Sunday card out for just a moment. There are a lot of ways to do something now, to take whatever talents you have and use them for the building of his kingdom, even here at First Alliance Church. A lot of places you can serve. This is not all of them, but these are some that need uh, help even now. So let me go through them real quick. They have tables in the hallway. Children's ministry. Maybe you've never worked with kids. That's fine. The neat thing about children's ministry is it doesn't matter if you are a teacher. It doesn't matter if you want to do security. It doesn't matter if you want to just sign people in, do crafts, singing. You can do it. There is a huge need, need there as we raise up the next generation for Christ. Think about children's ministry. Communications. Oh my goodness, with our visual society, if you're into graphic design or video or creative communication of any way, stop off at our communication table and talk with them. They'd love to talk with you. First impressions. This is a growing, very popular ministry here because they tell us that most people are going to make the decision whether they come back to church or not before they get to the message. I like this in one way. I want you to know. But that means within the next first few seconds that they're in this building. And, and we're not just making coffee or, or giving, handing out bulletins. They're seeking to create an environment to welcome, to let people know the love of Christ uh, in that regard. So first impressions, ushers, greeters, coffee people, uh, check out that table. If, if, in fact, you might be concerned about helping the impoverished in Erie itself, food pantry on the other side, upper room. They have tables out there. You can be used there. We just think about it. Also, with our food pantry, we are in desperate need right now of a truck to go and pick up the food and bring it here. Perhaps uh, God has given you a truck that you can let us use on from time to time. Um, Good Samaritan. I love this because right now and every time we're together, there are medical doctors, nurses, on call. They know who they are. And so if we have a medical emergency, God forbid, but if we do, they will be there to help if you're doctor or a nurse, you need to make sure your name's on that rotation. Health ministries and the helping hands. With the health craze in America right now, this is a great ministry. Not only is it a fantastic outreach opportunity, but to help pragmatically in people's lives when they are really hurting. Consider that. Maybe our hospitality ministry. Do you like food? You like to eat it, and we need samplers, and you've got to sign up for this, though, to get that. And, and, and you can... Be a part of this ministry that, that helps people in the, one of the darkest valleys they go through in a moment of bereavement. Uh, we take care of the family with, with, with food for the funeral dinners. You want to be part of that. Also, there's the kitchen where we, we help and support the ministries here. You can be a part of, of that as well. So check out their table. Life groups, we're looking for mentors. We're looking for shepherds. Maybe God has wired you in the shepherding way. Um, check out the life group. Pastor Scott will be out there. Mops. 
I love this because during the school year, we have 100 gals who show up. Over 60% of them do not go to our church. Many of them don't go to church anywhere. But they're mothers of preschoolers. They couldn't come and be a part if someone didn't take care of their children. And so during mops, we have the mopettes. And the mopettes take care of their children so that the moms feel comfortable. You can serve in that, perhaps. That would be wonderful. Uh, worship ministry, if you sing, if you think you can sing, these guys will tell you if you can't, don't worry about that. If you, you can play an instrument or anything, I don't care what you play, whatever you play, audition, sign up, and, and they, will, they will check you out. If you're a techie person, we are in such need of that. And then youth ministry, I spent 20 years in youth ministry, and so I'm convinced that our best people should be in this category because... The years between junior and senior high are so uh, formative. They're so packed, filled with landmines. There's so many decisions made for the future. They are packing their bags for the future. And you can be a part of investing in a student's life to do that. Let me pray for you. And then what I want you to do is take your card and don't run out the door. Stop off at these tables and see how you can do something.